Well, welcome everybody to the Beyond the Sermon podcast. I am Pastor Lucas Hillman, and I get to serve as the lead pastor at Grace Christian Fellowship in Largo, Florida. This is a weekly podcast discussing theology, scripture, and ideas in the local church to help you flourish in Christ. Thanks for joining us. First Corinthians chapter 11 begins with the simple statement in verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, again, many commentators and theologians and scholars uh, will put First uh, Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1 in with the finishing thought of chapter 10 instead of the beginning thought of chapter 11. Because what he ultimately is calling the church in Corinth to is to mimic his behavior that he laid out in chapter 9, not necessarily, again, prepping the church to hear about head coverings in chapter 11 uh, and the Lord's Supper. Rather, he's saying, imitate me as I have imitated Christ, the pattern in which Paul is mimicking, uh, laying out, trying to follow, is the pattern of Christ himself. And the pattern in which the Corinthian church seemed to be following was the pattern more of a culture of clawing towards some sort of achievement or notoriety or power or, again, worldly notoriety, if you will. And again, Christ came not to uh, proclaim, again, a worldly power, but to proclaim the kingdom of God, which was another, again, opposing authority in this world. The kingdom of God is opposed to the kingdom of this world. Whereas the Corinthians saw their life as one of always up and to the right, Paul is again trying to say within the body of Christ, within the kingdom of God, it does not always go up and to the right, meaning life always gets better. Rather, in order to save some, uh, like Jesus we have to actually go down into the left, meaning life might have to be uncomfortable. It may have to get worse for a reason. It is not uh, an ascetic lifestyle to say that we think that suffering or poverty brings a righteousness, but rather for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of meeting people where they are at, we might have to forego rights. We might have to forego luxuries. We might have to forego preference for the sake of the gospel. This is, again, if you go back and read chapters 8, 9, and 10, Paul's ultimate thrust, his ultimate goal, his heart is saying, I'm willing to give up something if that means I can talk to somebody about the gospel. I can embody the gospel to them. I can say that Jesus is worth more than anything else. So when Paul says at the end of chapter 10, beginning of verse 11, he says, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Did not Christ give up everything in order that he may save his own? What did Christ not give up? What did Christ not forfeit? What did Christ, uh, again, keep in order to um, maintain a level of you know, separation? Well, the answer is obviously nothing. Now, 
Christ, again, did not empty himself to the completeness of getting rid of divinity. He did not uh, empty himself of getting rid of righteousness, but he did empty himself, as Philippians chapter 2 will say, of all, again, um, I would say pride. He, well, not that he had pride, but I would say he emptied himself of all things that he was entitled to. So everything that God was entitled to, he was entitled to. And he didn't take that for selfish gain. Rather, he leveraged it for the sake of salvation. Now, that's besides the point. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul will say, imitate me as I have imitated Christ. That is the pattern of Christ. Now, the, and the threat within Corinth was division, because, again, the human heart, I believe, and our natural tendency is to attach ourselves to people who are successful, who are doing things that we like, that bring us some amount of benefit, uh, and just, again, um, can easily roll past people in our church who need to hear the gospel. Uh, Paul is saying, well, imitate me as I forego rights for the sake of the gospel to reach those who are far from God and as Christ did. Now, it's interesting enough, uh, one thing I did not mention on Sunday, which I thought was a pretty interesting topic we could probably talk more about, is uh, I read a a book called The J-Curve by Paul Miller, um, and he has this one line in his book where he will say, depersonalized knowledge seeks to separate it from love. And again, let's let's break that down just for a moment, because in Corinth, right, knowledge was a thing that they highly esteemed. Education, perspective, all of these different things, um, education and knowledge were tightly associated with status uh, and influence. And it's in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 1, he'll say that knowledge will puff up, but love builds up. And again, let's read this again, depersonalized knowledge seeks to separate it from love. And I think, again, within certain theological circles, and I know even with my own heart, there lurks this reality that if I just know more, uh, if I can just attain more knowledge, perspective, understanding, theological acumen, if you will, um, that will make me uh, more obedient. It will make me a more mature Christian. Well, to some degree, I am all for theological acumen, uh, using our minds to worship and honor God rightly, but at the same time, it can never be separated from love. Knowledge cannot be depersonalized from love. It cannot be a thing unto itself. Uh, Knowledge has to work itself out in the sense of it plays itself out in the community of God. We do not want to form ourselves and be formed uh, to become recluses in a theological tower, but rather, what is the end goal of our knowledge? It is love. It is to not depersonalize it, not to disembody it, but rather let this knowledge work itself out in love. And I think that, again, is what Jesus and Paul ultimately say in their words to the churches is that what matters is faith working itself out in love. And again, I think that's a, a very imp- important concept when it comes to the issue of idol sacrifice, uh, or rather meat sacrifice, idols or personal preference within a church. 
we may have all the perspective and right theological knowledge, but we we dare not separate it from embodied love, person to person, to say, to love my neighbor as myself. May we never use our knowledge to hammer people and their conscience. Paul is very, uh, he's often called an apostle of the conscience sometimes, um, and he's very set, he's very you know keen to say that the conscience informed by God and His Word ought to be listened to, ought to be obeyed, um, and and this is the case even in First Corinthians eight through ten. But it, let's keep considering First Corinthians chapter eleven verse one: "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." And again, the the word translated for imitate is mimetes, which is where we get the word mime for again to mirror one's actions. And again, we ultimately are trying to mirror Christ's actions, not the Apostle Paul. Uh, But we oftentimes need examples, embodied examples, because again, the resurrected Christ is not with us, uh, although one day will be, um, but then our faith will be sight, and uh, this won't necessarily apply in the same way. But until then, we need embodied examples uh, of what it means to follow Jesus rightly, faithfully, lovingly, sacrificially, obediently, all these different things. So again, it begs the question, may we uh, seek out those in our life who we uh, esteem as we uh, look to follow Jesus? Are there people in our life that are maybe ahead of us or maybe even behind us? Um, that do things that honor Jesus well, and how can we learn from them? How can we take on uh, their their characteristics, their their speech pattern, their uh, the way they love the people around them, their families, their friends? Uh, how do they work hard at uh, at their vocation? Whatever it is, um, it's okay to look at the good things people are doing and say, "I think I can adopt that lifestyle because it brings." more honor to Jesus and actually makes me into a, a, a better follower of Christ. So um, I think it's important to to do that. And it, it, I always think of it as it's okay to plagiarize in this sense. <laughs> it's okay to plagiarize someone's actions and speech uh, to take something good and say, I, I, need, I need more of that in my life. If it brings honor and glory to Jesus, that's why Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Are there things in your life that you need to get rid of? Are there things in other people's life that you maybe need to adopt and say, I need to honor God with my body, with my food, with my drink, with my finances, with my schedule, my uh, whatever it is. Whether we eat, drink, we do or don't do, do it all for the glory of God. And again, to end, um, one thing that we noted is that oftentimes love loving our neighbor or loving another person, regardless of who they are, is constricting. It is limiting. That is, in essence, what love is. At the core of what love is, is if we want to love somebody, we have to restrict or constrict ourselves. For the sake of the other person, we say, I won't so that you can. And this is what Paul and Jesus are saying, is that self-sacrifice, laying aside my own desire for the sake of you, is what love is all about. Philippians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, 
after saying, I just want to know Jesus and everything else can just kind of fade away, he says that I, in verse 10, he says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may, sh- and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And this is the hard part about love. This is the hard part about following Jesus and the life of faith. Is if we want to experience resurrection power, if we want to experience the presence of God, there there has to be a need. There has to be a dependence. There has to be a stepping out, if you will. Now, God could easily do anything he wants. If he wants to pour out his spirit, if he wants to give resurrection power, praise God, he can do it. But there also seems to be this kind of uh, tension point within the life of love towards another person is that if we aren't restricting, we aren't depending on God to meet our needs. If we aren't giving up of ourselves in any way, really, God, again, just it's hard for us to know what he's up to. Part of sharing in the sufferings and the death of Christ is also sharing in the power of his resurrection. And that is a hard truth for us to swallow because nobody likes to die. Nobody likes to be constricted at all. Nobody likes to be uncomfortable. But the upside-down way of the kingdom of Jesus is that in losing my life, I find it. In losing myself, I find Christ, which is of surpassing worth. And again, one of the, I'll end by reading part of a quote uh, again, from the book The J-Curve by Paul Miller, he says, Like him, we don't grasp privilege, meaning like Jesus, we don't grasp privilege. When you lower yourself in love, allowing your behavior to be shaped by someone else's weakness, you've entered the world of love, and you form a Jesus community. Your mini-death creates oneness. And that just spoke, I know it spoke to me, that I need to die, as he identifies, many deaths in order to create relationship, in order to create vulnerability between people, in order to create a community of Jesus, is to follow Jesus, imitate Jesus uh, in many deaths, and ultimately mimicking Jesus's once-for-all death. What a challenge for us. May the Spirit of Jesus grant us the strength and courage to die a mini-death so that we can create genuine community and love between us. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Sermon podcast, a ministry of Grace Christian Fellowship in Largo, Florida. You can visit our website and find out more about our church at gracechristian.com. As well, You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube.